You're listening to Draft Chat. Episode 1. Welcome, everybody. This is the Draft Chat Podcast, and uh, I'm Zach Hackett. I have with me here Ben Fisher. Testing, testing. Is this thing on? You're on. Yeah, it's here. Yeah. Cool. Man, a podcast. We're, we're in the big leagues now. Yeah, so so we decided to start Draft Chat because drafting is our favorite thing to do in Magic and pretty much any game ever. Um, it's kind of just awesome. And we enjoy improving. We enjoy learning about the game and hearing from others about the game. So we just figured perhaps some of our thoughts or insights might be able to help others and we can get some good conversations going. Um, so... Ben, do you want to run us through what we're talking about today? Yeah, so uh, we're going to be going over the Arena Cube. Uh, this cube is really fun, first of all. Uh, it's quarantine. Everyone's at home a lot, you know, spending a lot of time on Arena. So thankfully, they decided to give us, you know, one of Magic's finest uh, formats, the Cube, which is a collection of some of the best, you know, impactful cards from recent sets, or ones that they know people have fun with, and... Uh, it's, it's kind of like a, a set of the best of the best. So naturally, they also added human drafting for it, which is pretty sweet, given that's pretty new for Arena. Uh, so well, we're just going to kind of talk about our thoughts on Arena Cube. Unfortunately, it's going to be disappearing probably before this episode comes out, but I have a feeling it'll be back in the future. Yeah, for sure. So definitely by the time this episode airs, Arena Cube will no longer be on arena which is super sad because it's a fantastic format but hopefully um if you're listening to this in the future um the cube would be back and possibly updated but uh, most of what we're going to talk about is probably going to hold true still even if they update it so uh yeah we're going to get right into that but before we do we're going to run through a quick what's the pick um for a nice pack one pick one of arena cube yeah so uh all of you listening all i don't know negative two of you if you want to send us some what's the picks uh if you ever come across just a really interesting decision in drafting zach and i love drafting we love doing this uh, it's like we said our favorite thing to be doing and it, sometimes you'll come across something that's a stumper you're like well what is the pick here uh sometimes i'll send them in to you know the the greats on twitter and you know pray that they get back to me in time for uh <laughs> me to do something useful for that but you know i think we can talk about that ourselves uh, we know a good amount about you know these formats and what we can do with it so uh we had a pack one pick one here to discuss of course it doesn't have to be a pack one pick one but in this case it left us with some pretty interesting options so i'm just going to run through the pack and we're going to talk about it so uh first up we have shalai voice of plenty got voracious great shark liliana's contract priest of forgotten gods bone crusher giant dark dweller oracle phoenix of ash Dryad of the Hidden Grove, Voracious Hydra, Chromatic Lantern, Labyrinth of Scophos, Banishing Light, Beanstalk Giant, Thrashing Brontodon, and Weaselback Redcap. So Zach, what's what's sticking out at you here? All right, well, I mean, I see this pack and I immediately want to scoop that Chromatic Lantern. It's a colorless card that mm. makes all your lands all your lands, and uh, <laughs> it ramps you and as we're going to get into the ramp deck in this format is kind of the nuts. Um, 
So I, I'm looking at Chromatic Lantern. I also like the Dryad. Shalai's been pretty awesome for me in this format as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I'm I'm just hard on Chromatic Lantern. Yeah, uh, I think there's a few things that stick out here. So uh, those of that are playing Arena Cube will know that the red deck is pretty tough to beat when it comes together. And uh, I've actually noticed that in this format, adventures have been pretty good ways to get kind of card advantage even through mulligans. So Bone Crusher Giant and uh, Beanstalk Giant both kind of stick out for that here. They're both very good in their respective archetypes. But that being said, my favorite thing to do in this format is activate Golos. And there's two things in this pack that help us do that, Chromatic Lantern and the Dryad. So between the two, they're pretty close. Having it on a body opens up to removal, and uh, you know, not having it on a body sometimes lets you get overrun by the red and white decks. Um, I think you can make a good argument for the Lantern, the Dryad, or even Shalai here. Uh, the blue-white deck, or even just a deck that can play Shalai, Sometimes you just slam that against mono red, and the guy across the table has no idea what to do. Yeah, I I, I honestly think Chromatic Lantern is a pick here. You kind of touched on a lot of the highlights that I was thinking of and brought up the, the red deck. I mean, you could totally take Weaselback Redcap here. Yeah, I think that's a pretty <laughs> good pickup, too. Uh, you're, you're definitely not taking Redcap. Um, no, I mean, you could... Tar- you could uh, yeah, okay, I mean, you, you could take If it, anything, Chromatic Lantern, I think on. if you're going to go to the red deck... If you're going to take the red deck, I think you're going to go with the Bone Crusher Giant here. I think that's something just about in this format, too. You can kind of force your way into stuff or, or uh, see what's open. Kind of, You can mess around in the draft a little bit. Personally, when I was actually doing this draft, I took the Dryad. Uh, it ended up turning into a five-color Niv-Mizzet trash fire. Uh, but um, see, we won't talk about Lantern that. Been, <laughs> Lantern would have been amazing in that deck. Well, the Dryad was pretty good in it, too. But, um, look, the, the rest of the draft didn't go as well as I would have liked, but this one was was still a fine pickup. So other cards in this this pack that are interesting, at least, uh, the Priest of the Forgotten Gods, pretty good for the Black-Red Sacrifice deck. Same with the Dark Dweller Oracle. Uh, and the Voracious Great Shark is kind of a good top end in the blue-green or some of the more controlling blue lists. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so... Now we're gonna we're gonna move on to the the meat of this uh, podcast. We're gonna talk about Ooh. the actual archetypes and such. Um, meat. One thing to note about Arena Cube in particular is that a lot of the good decks are super synergistic. So you're gonna want to look out for a lot of the payoffs as we were kind of talking about with that pack. Um, particularly, say you're in red black, you're gonna want to try to pick up that Priest of Forgotten Gods. It's kind of a linchpin of the deck, um, and you're gonna want to pay attention to a lot of the other linchpins uh, that can be found in the deck in, in, in the various archetypes that um, are available to you. A lot of them, which we'll get into, don't have alternatives. Um, and so those are going to be super important if you want to move into a specific archetype. Yeah, so unique effects. Uh, stuff like mana dorks can't really you know replace those with other ones. They're a pretty important pickup for, say, the green deck or, or anything trying to go big. Or uh, like a board wipe, for example, is going to be pretty integral for a control deck. So we're just going to get started with the uh, the major archetypes here and kind of share some of our thoughts on them. I mean, we've been playing this format for a while. Uh, I'd like to say that I'm a, a format expert on this. Let me see. I, I've got um, 44 hours logged with a 17 7 win runs and a 67% win rate. So I think I, I've got a little little background in Arena Cube, huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You've definitely played more of this format than I have, so um, 
I'm interested to hear your takes and uh, also maybe chime in a bit myself. Oh man, I have a bunch of hot takes on this stuff. So uh, the first deck I want to talk about is actually the first one that I ended up in for I think my first three drafts in a row. And it was uh, three of the easiest 7-0s that I've ever had. Mono Red. Now, uh, those that have been playing later in the format know that the red deck doesn't come together all that often anymore now that people have picked up on the fact that the red cards are just great. Um, but red deck wins, it's definitely good. Uh, if you have an early Torbrin, Thane of Redfell, or something like Marauding Raptors, Goblin Chain Whirler, the Steamkin, these cards just go really well. You can curve out one drop, two drop, three drop, and against an opponent that's trying to do something a little more tricky, like three colors, or if they stumble on a land drop, the synergy within the red deck just runs them over really quickly. You have finishers like Ember Cleave or uh, Skargan Hellkite that can go over the top. And, you know, there's some good colorless uh, kind of door closers in this format, like Karn, Sign of Urza, Ugin, the Immortal Sun, that kind of thing. Oh my gosh, uh, this deck really I just runs people the over. The Immortal Sun is ridiculous. <laughs> the Immortal Sun turns out a pretty good card in Limited. Uh, the one and two drops for this deck are pretty interchangeable. Um, you've got all the dorky little one ones for one, um, then a bunch of different two twos or three ones for two. Uh, they all do about the same thing. Some of them have some recursion, but um, it really, you want to look out for that. Uh, some of the best plays that this deck can do involve Torbrin. I want to say he's the most important card in the in the red deck. Um, combining cards with him that were never meant to see play with him uh, to increase damage effects, it can do some pretty messed up stuff. So I, I, my, I have the mono red deck as the uh, the best deck in the format. If you told me I was going to get like a perfect deck, I'd go with the mono red one every time. Interesting. Well, mono red's not the only mono color deck that you can draft in this format. Uh, we also have mono black reanimator, which oddly enough is also kind of uh works really well as a five color deck as well um you're gonna want to look for enablers such as stitcher supplier rotting register uh crypt breaker rankle um and any kind of fixing you can get because a lot of the discard sack outlets are in colors other than black so mm. you can pick up a lot of cheeky little plays and and picks if you have fixing like lantern or uh the dual lands which there are plenty of in this yeah. format um, mm -hmm. they also will let you get some extra value out of your reanimation spells, such as Connive, Con Concoct, Unburial Rites, and Lamia as well. Guild Lotus is also going to be a pretty solid backup plan, uh, and, and smooth your deck out if you are running the Devotion Package and you manage to pick up Gary. Good old Gary. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This deck has been a lot of fun. Um, you can do some very weird things with it. Like I said, uh, uh, you know, the, the fixing you can take pretty highly with this, but it kind of has a black base. All the enablers come from uh, the black cards, and then uh, this can kind of turn into a, a devotion deck, or you can end up just, you know, jamming something like Dracuseth as the top end. Uh, tutor it in your graveyard with uh, Lamia, and then, you know, mill over an unburial rites, and that's great. So, uh, speaking of going big, Green Ramp. Another very powerful deck in the format. I want to call it Green X Ramp. Um, you can do Green Red, Green White. Actually, I haven't had a lot of luck with Green Blue, although, you know, for those standard it's players like, that know Euro, or Euro, Euro, I, I always say Gyro. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's a pretty decent card as well. So the green deck, uh, I also have it as one of the the top, probably top three decks in the format. Um, and it has a few key pieces. So the dorks, uh, stuff like Llanowar Elves, the Druids, um, Arboreal Grazer, Wayward Swordtooth. Uh, and then you've got your top ends, like Galta, uh, Enray's Forerunners. Uh, sometimes, if you're, if you're really lucky, uh, you know, Ulamog. And then yeah, some Ulamog's kind of... Awesome in this format. You, we, I had a game uh, not too long ago where I was doing the thing that Ramp wants to do, had my big four-turn plays, um, was totally chumping down my opponent, and he drops a Platinum Angel, and I'm just like, well, I don't know what I'm doing now. And then I top-decked Ulamog and realized, like, oh, I, can <laughs> just, I can just cast this on turn six, and... Uh, they're just they're just dead. Like what? Are, what are you gonna yeah. do? Yeah, mono green removal spell. It's pretty good. So um, something I noticed this deck sometimes really needs the third thing is a a late game mana sink or card advantage. Something to do with all of that for when you say draw your Ulamog and they banishing light it. Um, I've noticed that a uh, Great Henge is amazing at this. It's an incredible top end. Uh, Nylia and Vivian both let you. Uh, use the top of your library to kind of get additional card and mana advantage. And um, the, the red decks, the green-red ramp ones, have a few ways of doing this uh, to kind of close out with damage instead. Something like Sarkhan's Unsealing, uh, Clothis, the God, and uh, Godzilla, whatever it's called. Zilortha, Zilortha I think? Yeah. yeah. So this deck can uh, go way bigger than your opponents. If you have turn one Elf, into turn two, I don't know, Wayward Swordtooth, into turn three, like Vivian, and your opponent has like two lands and a Fibblethip, like <laughs> there's not going to be a lot of those games that you lose. Yeah, definitely. All right, that brings us to the mono white and mono blue decks. Or does it? They, they really aren't decks. Uh, it's pretty much mm. impossible to make either of them work. I've never really been able to make either of them work. Um, I don't know about you, but they're pretty bad there's like you can maybe do a devotion type thing with mono white but can mm -hmm. you <laughs> and you know your yeah. mono blue counter spell thing just doesn't quite do it but you put the two together and you actually have a pretty solid deck the the blue white skies deck is pretty ridiculous uh, if i have to say and i i think i don't have as much experience as you with the red deck ben but i kind of feel like it's better um, I mm. mean, if, if the red deck's running Torbrand, okay, I, you know, I, guess <laughs> I, I can see that. But the blue-white deck that curves out one, two, three, even four drop um, with the Skycat or Empyrean Eagle, and you mm. get your, your card draw effects through, like, Curious Obsession and such, it's just good. I mean, yeah. you, can, you can close out with cards. I mean, if you generally don't want to play a huge, like, a heavy top end, but you can close out with cards like Safara. Or um, <laughs> even Aureli. I played a, a Jeskai Skies deck that was actually super solid. Yeah, sweet. Um, so you have you have potential with big big flyers to to end off with, but you can also just run anthems that are cheap and just buff all your units anyway, and they just can't do anything. If they don't have reach, they don't have flyers themselves. You're just too fast. Yeah, I've noticed that this is a pretty good counter to uh, the green decks. Um, sometimes if they're going like Paradise Druid into like Swordtooth into, I don't know, something, there's a few ways green can stop them. Um, 
there's the uh, the elemental knight and you know arbor dryad or yeah uh, uh, arboreal grazer can jump in the wave a, a two two for a while. But um, there have been games that I didn't think I could lose that my opponent signed to Safara and then <laughs> what are you gonna do? It's 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 a seven seven life linker. Yeah, and then it gives all your other flyers indestructible. Like you're just not doing it. And if you can manage to 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 combo out Safara with um, Shall I? Just forget it. it just, <laughs> oh, that's gross. If your opponent does that to you, just scoop. It's not worth yeah. sticking around for. And uh, one thing on the mono white deck, I did actually see someone play uh, Daxos into Gideon into uh, Heliod, which ooh. was a pretty good uh, pretty good opener. That being said, those two monocolor decks are not nearly as strong as the other ones. Yeah, for sure. The one thing you want to look out for if you're playing that Blue-White Skies deck, too, is that you're kind of at a bit of a lack for removal, or at least good removal. Mm. Um, you, you have effects like Banishing Light and Baffling End and such, but you're going to want to try to pressure early and um, you know basically make it not matter that you don't have any removal. <laughs> yeah, I found um, some of the creatures that are more interactive... Uh, ones that kind of annoy your opponent, um, uh, that kind of like mess with their their game plan in some way, uh, and a lot of them have that naturally. Um, like Spectral Sailor gives you some card advantage. Uh, what, what's the the one one flying pirate wizard siren that sacks the counter a spell? Um, oh, the name escapes me at the moment. Yeah, it's something. But, but the viewers figure it there's out. Also, there's also the um, the white spirit that you pay for and exile it to exile something else. That's, that's actually a pretty solid removal spell. Mm -hmm. um, it's often not blocking or, or attacking or whatever, but you can use it to clear out platinum angels and whatnot. Yeah. That kind of thing. So, um, let's see. Next we've got, a. <laughs> oh, this is a fun one. Black green, uh, death garbage lands. I don't know. Black green can take a, a bunch of different forms as we're starting to get into the multicolor archetypes. So, it has the powerful green start and some of the cool black removal control suites. It usually, unsurprisingly, works at the graveyard. Um, and I've noticed that it makes a pretty good home for lands. Uh, stuff like the Gitrog Monster, Crucible of Worlds, and the Cycling Lands, um, and Vraska, uh, Golgari Queen. You can do some interesting stuff with all that. And if you kind of throw everything together, you get this weird legacy lands deck that can draw a million cards. I actually milled myself out with the Gitrog monster because I <laughs> kept having to go to discard and I only had lands in hand. And when you discard a land, you draw a card and then it kept being more lands and not a very, <laughs> <laughs> not a very good way to lose a game. Yeah, that sounds unfortunate. But besides that, it's just black, green, good stuff. You can beat down with like big black and green beaters, and you win a good number of games with it. But this isn't one of the the best archetypes in the format or anything. This also kind of fits in as like a sub theme in the green green X ramp deck. You can you can kind of make your black green deck be a ramp deck and just use all the same top ends that the green ramp deck's looking to do. While also yeah, sure. like using some of those graveyard synergies. Mm -hmm. uh, next up is green white enchantress um, with a slight tokens theme. They're not like the best thing ever, but um, and, and there really aren't too many cards that make a lot of tokens. Um, but the enchantress side of things, you know, originally in this format, I thought it wasn't all that great. But 
I've seen some pretty solid Enchantress decks. You have, like, a bunch of payoffs, like Elspeth Conquers Death. You have Seal Away. You've got um, a lot of the just, like, big green-white spells. Mirari's Wake comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it also can kind of do the ramping thing. So you have these, like, Enchantress synergies. But if those aren't working, you can kind of just go big and not really worry about it. Yeah, I got a I got turn five Ulamogged by a, a Marari's Wake ramp deck with with green white stuff. Green white it kind of goes in a bunch of directions. Um, I, I've seen kind of like a green white or sometimes even Obzon tokens, uh, and it, it's never really impressed me. Um, you know, trying to make a bunch of tokens and then pump them is not one of the, the most broken things you can be doing in this format. But uh, the Enchantress deck can be pretty good. Um, Sigil of the Empty Throne is very scary when they have enough uh, enchantment density and you start having to deal with a million flyers without a good way to wipe the board, you're, you're not going to beat that in the long run. For sure. They also run, a lot of times, uh, Settle the Wreckage in this deck. and <laughs> Ooh, Settle yeah. the Wreckage. Yeah, that will um, that'll make you scoop real quick. For sure. So uh, next we have Black Red. And uh, yeah, take a wild guess what Black Red is trying to do. Uh, they're probably on the life gain plan. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, technically... Okay, kind doesn't... Of, but that's not what they're really trying to do. You know, doesn't the Lamp Out of Death Vigil technically gain you life? I think, I think yeah. it does. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, more importantly, Black Red, we know what that likes. Sacrifice. So we've got Judith, uh, Scourge Devil, you know, Tybalt. All these these things making little tiny creatures that sack to ping things and, you know, get in for incremental damage. So I've noticed that this deck works well uh, when you kind of have a good red aggressive start. Um, and then you kind of have your black and red sack payoffs a little higher in the curve. Um, so this way, you're able to, uh, you know, start beating down immediately. And then the sacrifice really only has to get you the, the last bit of the way there. So I like to think of it like you want your opponent to be starting at like 10-ish life from the beatdown, and then the sacrifice can get to the rest. Okay. When you're drafting this deck, do you want to look for, like, do you often find yourself starting as a mono-red deck, and then you're like, oh, that's a good red-black card, and I'm going to move into red-black? Or can you start with black in this deck and kind of force it? How, how do you find the red-black deck coming together most of the time? Yeah, so I found it usually happens when you're you take a few good red cards early, uh, something like a Bone Crusher Giant or um, uh, a Scargan Hellkite, and then you notice red starting to dry up. Like you're not getting past Torbrins or Shocks or things like that. So uh, this is actually how you wind up in red white as well uh, when you have a pretty good red aggressive start, and then you start to see something like um, uh, Bastion of Remembrance or, or something that kind of is a, a signpost. Like, oh wait a minute. This would be pretty good if I, you know, just slot this in with the rest of my aggressive stuff. Um, something that that you know adds some kind of aggressive uh, like end game to to your to your game plan. So I usually find starting in red and then taking the black cards a little later on this. Of course, if you um, I don't know if you pick up like an early rankle or a priest of forgotten gods, you're you're in good shape for this. Fine, for sure. Next up is Blue-Green Flash, one of my personal favorite archetypes in Magic, period. Um, this is kind of similar to what we're talking about with the Black-Green deck. You're going to have all of the access to the, the green ramp aspects of things, and often Blue-Green is perfectly fine ramping as well. 
Um, you have a lot of flash synergies with uh, the wolf, um, as well as uh, voracious shark and frilled mystic. Um, they 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 make the deck great, but often it's kind of hard to put together. I found every time I've tried to draft this deck that it just either forces me out of blue green by nature of what other people are picking. And I end up in some weird, like, didn't quite get their Flyers deck or mm-hmm. didn't quite get their Ramp deck. Um, so it's it's a bit awkward to draft, but I th- think it's actually pretty powerful when you can get it together. Yeah, for sure. I have a theory on this one that uh, a lot of the best cards in this, just other people want them too. Um, the monocolored ones, uh, something like, uh, what's that big Surveil guy? The, uh, uh, the Dream Eater. Yeah, the Dream Eater. Like the blue control decks will just snap that right up, uh, yeah. and then the counter spell decks. Sometimes people try to you know play counter spells, which I don't think are very good in this format. But uh, the, the the key pieces of this just get picked up by other archetypes. Yeah, I think something that the blue green flash deck has um, kind of like not going for it, if you will, um, mm-hmm. that a lot of the other decks don't have is that it's not actually very synergistic we call it blue green flash but really it's just blue green good stuff and since it's not very synergistic and a lot of the other decks are super synergistic it it kind of just ends up picking up the scraps of whichever black green slash ramp deck or flyers deck um didn't pick up you kind of just end up picking up all the trash from those decks that that they didn't want um whereas blue green flash with you know Emphasis on the flash. Everything just has flash. Right, yeah. And, and the, none of those cards really do anything together. They're kind of just like, yeah, you can play stuff on your opponent's turn, which is great. <laughs> but when everybody else is doing these huge, like, hugely synergistic things and going way over the top, like, it just doesn't quite get there unless unless you get really lucky and hooked up. Yeah. So uh, next we have some miscellaneous ones that aren't really worth too much time. Uh Red-white is one I want to talk about because as the format has developed, it has kind of picked up a bit. Um, people are starting to play Aurelias and things like that as the top end um, of, of a more aggressive red start, which is good. It's fine. Uh, I think it's probably in the top five decks in the format, but um, it's so similar to the red deck. Uh, there's not really many white cards in it that are specifically very powerful. Eh. Yeah, there's, but anyway. there's a post uh, that went up on Reddit, on the LRCast subreddit, um, maybe yesterday, that was uh, basically just talking about how easy it is to force this deck right now, or uh, maybe it, it was easy to force, um, mm-hmm. and it's actually super solid. I haven't given it a try myself, but um, yeah, it does feel like I can get there, especially if you start with that good mono-red base. Yeah, I, I've just noticed that the red-white deck just feels so much worse than the red one. Uh, I mean, it's natural. People are starting to realize that red is just, I think, the strongest color in the cube. Um, so more people are starting to draft it. In the the few early days of this, like I said, I, I would have decks where uh, I would like wheel marauding raptors or uh, mm. uh, just ridiculous things like Anax uh, would just come back, and that sadly no longer happens. Um, so I think as people started to play the red decks more, you know, they've you know branched off into red white and. Uh, Red, uh, red, black, uh, red, blue, <laughs> not really a thing. Yeah, uh, for red, blue, that's also one of my favorite <laughs> archetypes, and it's just not really there. Yeah, the spells deck doesn't really do much. Um, you can 
I don't know, get to six mana and cast Niv Mizzet. <laughs> I, mean, I, I did. I did have a deck turn six Niv Mizzet against me, and while like seeing a Niv Mizzet, because I played it in like when it was popular in standard. I don't. I don't know if it is. I haven't played standard in a while, but uh, yeah, when not, it, when not it as much. Be, um, I, I saw Niv hit the hit the board, and I was just like, "Oh, I'm just gonna lose." And then I realized <laughs> I had a hanged executioner on the field, and I'm like, "Oh, I just I just don't care about this Niv Mizzet." Yeah, it doesn't have the same impact as um, you know the very niche format of of constructed. Um, another interesting one, you know, color combo that didn't really get there. Blue black. Um, sometimes your reanimator deck just winds up bluish, blackish anyway. But the blue black control deck uh, that's trying to go like I don't know Ashiok and uh, s- other stuff like that. Sometimes it turns into a bit of a mill strategy. Um, you have patient rebuilding, which is a fine finisher. But um, I found it kind of lacks the support to get there. The, the mill cards in this format, which, you know, mill is a keyword now, so I can freely talk about it without having to explain what mill means. If you don't know what mill means, go look at the M21 spoilers. Uh, we have stuff like, a, I don't know, the, the small Ashiok, which provides something of a clock, but eh, it sometimes gets picked up by other decks trying to do similar things. For sure. So where does that lead? Doesn't us? really what, get what are, there. What's our what's our uh, say top three uh, best best archetypes? What should people be drafting in this format? So I think uh, the good mono red deck is probably the best thing in the format. Uh, it, it just has you know looking back at some of my stats, um, just significantly higher win percentage across the board. It, it just does everything. Um. Second, I would say, is the, the big green deck. Um, ramping in this format is very powerful. Like I said, if you have a, a turn three Karn or a, a turn four or five Ugin or something like that, there are some opponents that will look at their hand of like curving out with like black-green garbage without any removal, and the, the game's already over. And the third... <laughs> uh, hear me out on this. Five color... Okay, what five color? What? What do you? What five do you five colors. Colors. That's it. Uh, so this is one that we haven't talked about. This is our last one. It's kind of the the uh, the black sheep, or I guess five color sheep. <laughs> well, you put all the colors yeah. together, you get black anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. Well, actually, I guess you get white if it's all light. But if you, you know, That's anyway. Fair. Yeah. No physics in the magic podcast. Um, if you can manage to pick up something like Golos which is my personal favorite pack one, pick one. If you start with Golos or, uh, I don't know, Dryad or uh, Field of the Dead or uh, a Triome or something like that, you, and sometimes you'll, you'll wheel like a Niv-Mizzet or something, you can start picking up anything you want. So I think the five-color deck takes two different routes. Um, the Golos plan, which involves a lot more ramping, um, you want to be green-based, uh, you know, still with big finishers, but uh, you can go over the top in that. You want to slam your Ugins and your Ulamogs and your Great Henges and your Enrays Forerunners, because if you can activate Golos, which is pretty easy to do, you can just go way over the top. Uh, I had a deck in this format where I activated Golos twice by, uh, by turn 7. Wow. I'll, I'll let you know, take a wild guess as to who won that one. <laughs> But, I'm, uh, I'm guessing not your opponent. That, that sounds no. pretty bonkers. It, it was nuts. Um, 
actually, uh, Kinnon uh, is a pretty good uh, backup plan in this case, Bonder Prodigy Kinnon. You can activate Kinnon with your big mana base uh, to find Golos or to find something like Nyx Bloom uh, Ancient, which is actually better than it seems in this format. Uh, it fits pretty well in the big green deck, too. Uh, the other way to go with this five-color nonsense is uh, the Niv-Mizzet deck. And these two can share parts. Uh, you can probably play them both in the same deck. But Niv-Mizzet cares a little bit more about two-colored stuff. So you want to pretty much take every dual land and try land you can find. Um, prioritize the, the mana dorks that tap for anything. Um, stuff like Paradise Druid, uh, Gilded Goose. And then you want to take a lot of the cards that are you know, kind of green or blue focused, but then splash in another color in our two colors. Stuff like um, Domri uh, to, to ramp you and fight stuff, or um, Night of Autumn, uh, the Oracle of Hathtruths. What's, what's that guy's name? I don't remember his name, but the blue-black one that ETBs to uh, do a little baby factor fiction. Stuff like that. And... Uh, you find that you can, you know, cast a Niv-Mizzet turn five with, you know, some regularity. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds pretty strong. And if you're building around Niv-Mizzet, he's going to hit pretty pretty hard, too, when he hits the battlefield. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it sounds pretty great. I've never managed to make that work, um, but I can see how it might, yeah. It kind of <laughs> relies uh... on Niv, though, doesn't it? Like, what, how does that deck come together if you don't run Niv-Mizzet? Yeah, it can get a little messy. Um, something like a Chromatic Lantern or a Dryad of the Hidden Grove is very important for this one so that you have a backup plan of uh, not getting horribly mana screwed every game. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe like a big colorless finisher like a like an Ugin or even a, a Karn can help you kind of get to the later game where you're starting to draw everything. A Field of the Dead is a natural home in both of these decks because you wind up playing a million dual lands anyway. Yeah, Golos sure. can, of course, go get it. Um, but Niv doesn't mind playing one colorless tap land. Probably the only one you want to play, though. Gotcha. And I also kind of want to add honorable mention to this um, mm. list here is the the Blue-White Skies deck. It's just so good. Like, <laughs> I mean, it comes along the line. Yeah. Of, it's like along the lines of Mono Red. It's a bit slower and not quite as powerful, but can be better if, against like the not top tier red decks. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just a ton of fun to play because you have a lot more uh, flexibility with your picks, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. So I, I think overall, um, to summarize, if you told me I was going to get the best version of like these decks in the format, my pick order would be Mono Red, uh, Big Green X, Golos 5-Color, and then I I'm pretty happy with saying the Blue-White Skies. Okay, yeah, I I'm on board with all of what you're saying there. Sweet. So let's say Arena Cube is back up, and I fire up a draft, and I totally forget what to do next. Well, well I got to pack one, pick one. What, what am I supposed to take here? What, how, how do I get into these archetypes? Right, so, I mean, you're going to want to stick to your traditional, uh, you know, uh, must-haves of drafting the you know, fixing colorless stuff, keep you, keep yourself open, all of that. But you can kind of pick up most of what you want. You're, you're going to look for a few specific things though. The planeswalkers for sure are great. Uh, Vivian monsters, advocate, Karn, Chandra, awakened Inferno, Ugin, Lily. They're all pretty good. I would probably avoid Elspeth 
Uh, I'm sure there are decks that make her work, but she's definitely one of the weaker picks as far as the play- the rare, like, uh, heavy impacting uh, Planeswalkers are. Yeah. Um, you could also prioritize fixing and ramp. That's never a bad thing to do in cube. Mindstone, Chromatic Lantern, even Evolving Wilds and all the dorks are really strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dryads are great. Um, and even though they're green, they kind of do keep you open because most of them tap for more than one color or um, any any kind of color. Um, so you can kind of keep yourself open by picking those as well, and they go into almost every deck. Um, of course, you're not going to want to pick up a ton of dorks or rocks if you're looking to play blue-white skies, but at pack one, pick one, you shouldn't be looking to play anything. <laughs> um, and then there are also like your speculative payoffs, which I would probably avoid, but the only one of these that I would really, really heavily argue that you should be picking aggressively is, is Golos, but... You also have cards like Shalai, Brazen Barber, Bone Crusher Giant, uh, Green Seeker Dryad, and uh, there are a few others as well. Um, all these cards are great in a few different archetypes. They're not going to go in every single deck, but uh, they fit in more than one deck, so they're also great, great first picks. Yeah, I've been toying around with um, my drafting strategy for this set. Um, in the beginning, it was pretty clear that you could take uh, some kind of payoff card, something like uh, an Empyrean Eagle, pretty early, and then just see if it was open. Uh, I found that um, the, the general power level of this cube is high enough that you can afford uh, an early pick or two here and there to uh, speculate on uh, when, like a, a really powerful card for an archetype. Empyrean Eagle, I think, is the best card for the blue-white deck, for example. Um, so if I see that early, and I'm kind of going in a few different directions already. I don't mind picking that up in case I find out that it's it's open because then I'm just going to wind up with a great Blue-White Skies deck. Uh, but if not, I only spent one pick on it and then I go back to doing, you know, green-red or whatever. Yeah, that's true. You're almost always going to find, and I, this is pretty common in, well, every cube, really. <laughs> there are way more playables than you can play. So going out on a limb and speculating on a pick early is not really the worst thing in the world, and people are pretty much all going to be doing that in their first pick or two anyway. So, so unless they get like an amazing bomb rare or something, which pretty much yeah. is a rare, but <laughs> no, um, that's true. Yeah. You, you can kind of afford those extra like one-off picks to just speculate on what could be good. Yeah. But of course, you know, not everything in this cube is good. There are some cards that uh, they look like they're good or maybe they're standard playable uh, or maybe they were really good in their limited format that doesn't necessarily make them good in Arena Cube, which is definitely worth talking about when this comes back. So I've got a list here of, uh, of some of my favorite clunkers for this cube. Just, you know, not, not great. They kind of imply archetypes that don't exist. Uh, Nyx Lotus, it kind of is saying, hey, you should try this devotion thing out. But oftentimes this is taking turn four off to play something that comes in tapped. Um, those LR fans out there know that cards that affect the board state are very good. This does pretty much nothing the turn it comes in, and then sometimes it does nothing the turn after. Not a great way to spend four mana. Yeah, you you have better things to be doing. It's even in the devotion deck, like you you just want to be building your devotion up on four anyway. Mm-hmm. There's a few cards that uh, just don't really have good homes. Uh, All that glitters, momentary blink, uh, wilderness reclamation. I found fit into these pretty well. The blue-white deck isn't really trying to flicker. 
Um, there's not really a mono brown artifact thing going on, and Wilderness Wreck didn't really do much, even in the blue green flash deck, which kind of never really got there either. Uh, let's see, past this, we've got uh, some soapbox ish cards, ones that I've noticed uh, people play a bit more than they should. So, Vivian's Arcbow. Have you ever seen anything good come from a Vivian's Arcbow activation? Not in this format. I have in, in like standard and stuff and commander, I guess, but I honestly haven't even seen it played in this format. It just doesn't seem good. Yeah, no, I've watched people pay six mana and discard a card, and uh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and keep in mind, that's after already you've essentially spent a card on this effect. So you need to hit something pretty good on it to make back that loss in value. Yeah, I mean, in that instance that you're describing there, you're paying a ton of mana to two for one yourself or two for ze two for zero yourself yeah you're two for zero you're essentially discarding this card and then the one you actually discard for a chance at hitting something that costs six now uh six or less the worst is when you pay six and discard a card and you wind up with something like i don't know uh an elysian caryatid or something yeah that feels bad uh other cards that you know don't really get their ancient ziggurat this, I never actually have played with before this cube, and I tried it. And uh, I found myself in a white, red, aggressive deck. Uh, I was starting the curve out. I went one drop, two drop, and then my three drop was... You know, it was supposed to be Gideon. Uh, and then I noticed that my turn three land was Ancient Ziggurat, and I couldn't actually play Gideon. This is not a card that says tap to add one mana of any color. It's a lot worse than that, and that it can't tap for colorless to add for spells and things like that. So I think uh, this is a lot worse than it looks, and you want to be in a very unique kind of creature-heavy deck. I think the one place where it kind of fits is the five-color Niv deck, given that that does play a lot of creatures in, in different colors. Yeah, it's also notable that it doesn't activate abilities either. So even in your Golos deck, it's not going to turn him on. Um, mm, yeah. It can be good, like you're saying, if you're building a, a pretty creature-heavy deck, but if you're building your deck properly and you know what's going on, then you, you probably are going to know when it, when to and when not to play Ancients of Drought. Mm -hmm. And uh, the last thing I want to talk about here, it's kind of an honorable mention, because these sometimes get there, uh, but legendary effects. So legendary sorceries, Mox Amber, and the second mode on Black Blade Reforged. These are less reliable than you think. You have to be very conscious of your drafting if you're going to be doing you know, anything with this. Uh, I think Yawgmoth's File Bargain can be excellent in the Black Reanimator strategy. And uh, I've actually seen someone uh, actually got actually destroyed by a blue-white player playing Karn's Temporal Sundering. But, you know, you have to be able to cast those pretty reliably. They, they end up being a little bit more win-more in the end. Uh, if you have a legend on the battlefield, you know, then do you really need your Mox Amber or you know, equipping your Black Blade Reforged? I think this sometimes is just better filled by like a five mana five five. Yeah, I think in a lot of situations you're right, um, especially with those um, effects which are kind of replaceable. Like Mox Amber is sure it's a zero mana card, but um, a lot of your other rocks are going to do just the same thing. It just might be a touch slower and. Amber's only really helping out if you can go heavy on the legendary thing. Mm -hmm. Which, I think, similar to what you said about Nyx Lotus, this is kind of one of those sub-themes that, like, 
makes you feel like it's there, but it also kind of isn't. Like, it's a cube. There are a lot of powerful cards. A lot of them are legendary. You can pick up legendaries. Yeah. But that doesn't mean your legendary sorceries are going to be reliably castable. Yeah, there's nothing worse than, like, needing something to desperately get you back into it. And uh, you top deck a legendary sorcery. They're just so bad when you're behind. And when you're at parity, they sometimes don't do anything. Yeah, for sure. That brings us on to our gotcha cards. These are cards that you Ooh, really gotcha. want <laughs> These are cards you really want to keep an eye out for and um, play around as best as you can because they will get you. Uh, this is have... essentially a, a list of everything that's like made us groan. You know, focus on our mistakes so that you don't have to make these same ones. For sure, for sure. First one we have is Embercleave. This is one that like okay, it's a big artifact. It does a, a lot for what it is. And then you remember, oh wait, they can cast this anytime they want, basically. Um, yeah, it'll get you. can't you. see it, but I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> Ember, Embercleave. Ugh. I feel like you've had worse uh, interactions with Embercleave than I have, but... Um, oh, yeah, I've, got a, I've got a pretty good one. So uh, I, was, I was totally stable. Uh, I had a huge board in a green-red aggressive ramp deck. And uh, my opponent had a Rotting Regisaur. And no cards in hand. And I was about to swing for lethal on the next turn. So it goes to his turn. He top he, he draws his card and he attacks with Rotting Regisaur. And I'm at 14. I'm like, well, what could I possibly die to? Embercleave? So naturally I didn't block. And uh yeah, he had Embercleave. Actually, he had the Embercleave, of course. Like, never did I it was honestly a testament to the hubris of man. Not not to me necessarily, just you know, oh, people course, in that, general. Yeah, right. <laughs> it could have happened to anyone. Anyone would have looked at that rotting register and gone, this is just a desperation thing. He, he's he's trying to fill in the quest where you attack with like 45 creatures and he just wanted to get that one <laughs> extra one in. But no, that was... Um, I managed to uh, steal defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> Nicely done. Next up is Settle the Wreckage. This... Anybody uh, played, settle yeah. the Wreckage. <laughs> Yeah, hashtag grown test, right? This card will, it'll wreck you. Like, it's named aptly. Ugh, the puns, too. You always, you always attack into it. You're like, oh, wait. Like, and this has happened to me a number of times. I'll, I'll full attack. I'll press the attack button on Arena. And then I'll, as soon as I press the button, I'm like, they have four open mana and two of them. <laughs> Your eyes jump. How many planes do they have? How many white sources do they have? Exactly. And then it's like, oh, they have, they have four open mana, two of those two of those lands are white i'm just dead sometimes you'll have a small heart attack and then they cast omen of the sun and you're like oh phew thank you but um <laughs> yeah th there have again been times when it's impossible to lose to anything except settle the wreckage and you know this is something that's worth play around uh also something to consider bluffing if you are in dire straits consider leaving up four mana because not all opponents will uh will attack for lethal straight into it for sure. Uh, along the same lines, and kind of fitting in with the board wipe uh, theme, is Massacre Girl. She's kind of like the black Settle the Wreckage of this format, or the, the black Damnation. Well, I guess Damnation is a black card. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, your, your opponent's going to play her. She's going to ding everything, and if you, if if she chains every like all of the creatures together, it's just pretty, pretty much game over. It's usually a board wipe. So the question is, how do you set up a Massacre Girl? I found this can be 
slightly more complicated than it looks. And oftentimes, uh, getting the 1-1 to die is the hardest part. Uh, sometimes your opponents just won't have any 1-1s. I've had um, games where like they've played something like the Immortal Sun or uh, a Trustani Discordant where all their stuff is getting buffed and you just don't have any 1-1s. So you can do some tricks with Massacre Girl. You can cast her in uh, main phase 1 and then attack. And if something dies in combat, she will actually trigger which not everyone knows or, or plays around. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good play. Um, yeah, it is a little bit awkward. There are enough X1s running around that it you kind of do need to have one of those Anthem effects or, or just pump effects to get your 1-1s out of range from her, but if your opponent can't do that and you slam a Massacre Girl, you're just winning. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah bring, us, next. bring us home with the the rest of these lists. Yeah, so we, we've got a, a few other things here. We can go through some of these pretty quickly. I want to say the uh, kind of all lumped together is the Flash deck top end. Um, stuff like Voracious Great Shark, Halpack Ambusher, Commence the Endgame, Dream Eater. Uh, these are all four, five, six mana plays that, you know, if your opponent passes with like six mana and a bunch of blue up, just be aware that you could get wrecked by some of these. Maybe don't attack your three threes that turn. Um... Other stuff that can, you know, get you out of nowhere. Platinum Angel. You've had a, some experience with Platinum Angel, haven't you? I have. We'll get into that later. Uh, <laughs> but yes. So, for those that don't good. know, it says you cannot lose the game. So this means if your deck is empty and you try to draw a card, you don't lose. Or if uh, you are at negative life, you don't lose. Or, I don't know, any other alternate win cons in this format? If your opponent has a card in hand that says your opponent loses the game, you don't lose. <laughs> yeah, it says you have to kill this angel before you can do anything. And sometimes the green decks don't have a good way of dealing with this. Um, or the, the red decks that can't get to four damage on a, on a single creature. Yeah. For so sure. th this is, you know, it's kind of a gotcha, but it's also a bit of a clunker because if it, you know, if it has, you know, if your opponent has any kind of removal spell for this, you can get pretty wrecked. Yeah, that's true. So uh, another big, big colorless finisher, Ulamog. Um, the ramp top ends can sometimes slam an Ulamog that can take you from a very solid board state to down your two best permanents and uh, dead to their next attack. So we put this on this list because it's just very swingy. Uh, it's not a gotcha and then it comes out of nowhere all the time. If your opponent starts tapping 10 lands, you should start sweating nervously. But, you know, this is something that you want to consider that the, the ramp decks sometimes have it. Yeah, for sure. And and it's great when your opponent's behind. So if you are playing against a deck that can that can actually cast Ulamog and you feel like you're ahead, close that game out because if they if they land this, you're probably not going to be able to. Mhm. Mm uh another, you know, this kind of fits with the flashback, but Return of the Wild Speaker. So this is a 5 mana instant in green. And it gives all your non-humans plus three plus three, or you draw cards equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. So uh, this is a, a great modal spell uh, to use uh, to either draw cards to get yourself out of a pinch where you're empty-handed and maybe have a four-four or a five-five on board. But the gotcha part is um, the, the plus three plus three to all non-humans. So this 
is a huge effect and can you know close out games very quickly. If your opponent randomly attacks him with a bunch of you know mana dorks, uh, green seeker dryads, and Nessian wanderers, and you're like, what what is this? Be very careful how you block. And then finally, just the I hate this card. Sudden spinnerets. Cannot believe I'm talking about a one mana common green instant that gives a creature plus one plus three a reach counter and untaps it. But here we are. Uh, this absolutely houses blue white skies. <laughs> Turning a great ground blocker into a great sky blocker uh, and doing it at instant speed in an ambush mode too. You're just, you can be attacking in with, you know, your, your blue white skies team. And in the mid game, this can swing the direction totally back around. Uh, you went from totally safe attack to they eat your best guy and now have a great blocker. Um, it also can just be used to untap a creature and give it a, a big butt buff. So, I don't know. Maybe this isn't actually a gotcha moment. But if your opponent has one forest up, just, I just hope they don't have it. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not going to... I mean, it, it, it'll, it'll cost you some games, for sure. It's probably not going to be a huge blowout in most situations, but it's definitely going to be tilting when it works. Oh, yeah. I, I've i lost to Sudden Spinnerets once or twice, and it's... thought about quitting Magic. Maybe it's playing poker or something. <laughs> anyway. Well, uh, uh, that brings us to our last um, main segment for this show. Um We'll probably be doing this segment at the beginning of most episodes, but since this is kind of like an intro to the format and also a farewell to the format all in one sort of episode due to the nature of the timing of this, um, we're going to mm. be doing what we're calling Teferis and Tybalt's, but is your typical like Roses and Thorns sort of situation. So basically we'll describe one of our best um, experiences with the format and one of our worst experiences with the format, and we'll just kind of chat about that for a bit. And then we're going to move into what we're calling the Chaffee Awards, which, um, true to name, we're going to be talking about some of the, the best jank, some of the biggest chaff in the format, and we'll also talk Very about excited. some good stuff. Maybe we'll get some, some real medals. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. All right, so do you want to kick us off with your, your Teferi of this format? Yeah, so the, 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 the single instance that made me most feel like a Teferi, like just huge brain energy, it wasn't actually something that I did. Um, it was my opponent who had a, uh, a devil's play and, uh, six mana. I was at five life, uh, playing a mono green and they were on mono red and, uh, devil's play is X, uh, X red deal X to any target. They had six mountains untapped. So the natural thing would be to point that at my face. However, they killed a, uh, I think it was like a wayward sword tooth or something instead. I top-decked Great Henge and started gaining two life a turn, and ended up winning that game, you know, pretty handily. Oh, that sounds pretty sweet. I haven't had the luxury of drafting the Great Henge yet, and every time I've had it played against me, I just died a little inside. It's so good. It is a messed-up card. card. Why is that not a blue card? It, it, it gains life and... And draws hmm, you cards. Wait a minute. And draws you cards. It puts counters on things. That's, that's pretty green. And it taps for extra mana, I guess. It should have been a blue-green card. I'm very happy that we've moved in the direction of uh, Wizards has just decided that card draw is green now. Yeah, what's with that? I mean, I don't dislike it per se, because blue-green draw cards do nothing else is kind of my favorite archetype, but... I mean, as long as they don't start letting white draw cards, that would just be over the line. 
<laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> do you want to do you want to run up your Tybalt, or should I go with my Teferi first? And yeah, I can talk about my uh, my my Tybalt. Go for it. Oh man, this was a uh, so this is where I thought I was being very clever. Uh, so I was playing red green. My opponent was on mono red, and uh, my opponent had actually played the Acroan War to steal my Zolortha or Godzilla or whatever, which has the unique effect of causing lethal damage to be caused, uh, dealt based on a creature's power instead of their toughness. So they had stolen my Godzilla. I had a few other dorks laying around. Uh, I had a Greenseeker Dryad, the 1-3 that taps. You can look at the top card of your library to see if it's a land, put it in hand, which is you know, a very strong card in the format. And uh, I didn't want to have to ram my Greenseeker Dryad into you know, their board, their, you know, my Godzilla on the other side. So I, I was thinking, oh, you know what? I'm going to do something clever. I'm going to uh, tap my Greenseeker Dryad so that uh, it's tapped. It won't be able to attack for the second phase of uh, a Crowan War. And that way, I get to save it. Because it's a 1-3, it won't deal damage to itself. Uh, it, it'll, on phase 3 of a Crowan War, each creature that's tapped deals damage to itself equal to its power. I was like, oh, it's a 1-3. Perfect. So I pass the turn. Phase three of a Crow and War goes off. Every tapped creature deals damage to itself equal to its power. So I'm like, sweet. My 1-3 is going to live through this. But Zalortha board wipes. It gives me Zalortha back. And then all my creatures' power is their toughness. So then my green secret giant it becomes like a one one and my board just wipes anyway <laughs> so yep uh i ended up you know i guess it didn't make a huge difference what i did i just thought i was being a genius and then i just got just kicked in the head <laughs> it was uh not a fun way to lose but i'll let you show your uh your your tibbles and uh teferis yeah so my i guess my teferi my biggest teferi for this format was um i was playing it was actually my first draft of the format and mm-hmm. I had a super sick uh, green X ramp deck. I think it was pretty much mostly green red. Um, but it had Ulamog. It had a ton of ramp. It had a lantern. Um, fight with fire. And and actually what happened was my opponent plays... I, th- I think my opponent was at like three life. And then they play a platinum angel. And I was like, I don't <laughs> think I can win this. And, <laughs> and then I top decked Ulamog and realized... Oh, man. I can cast this this turn... And uh, so I did. He lost his, uh, his his platinum angel, obviously, and I think I took a, a land or something with the other the other target. And it passed to him, and he played a spell that gained him like a billion life, and um, kind of blanked my attack for the the next turn. I can't remember what the card was. Even with the Ulamog. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't. A, he kind of blanked my my turn. Um, hmm. And it passed back to me some things, you know, it went back and forth a bit, but uh, I think it was maybe the next turn. It, it passed back to me, and uh, I was like, how am I going to close this game out? And then I looked and he saw that he was tapped out, and I had a fight with fire in hand and enough mana to kick it. And he had like, <laughs> he had like nine life, and I was just like, oh, this is justice. The hidden mode on uh, fight with fire. Yeah, I kind of write that off because it's so expensive, I... Especially when it was like in actual limited formats, I yeah. just never expected to kick it, and it's actually fairly easy to do in this format. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that was pretty sweet. Have I, you had the uh, the privilege of having a Nyx Bloom Ancient and an X spell in your hand? I have not. 
but that sounds nasty. Gotta tell you, it is fun. I had a uh, a similar win today uh, earlier in my last draft from untapping uh, with Nyxbloom Ancient and uh, Banefire in hand. And uh, I actually got destroyed by an opponent that used uh, Finale of Devastation, X equals 20, to go get an N-Raise Forerunners and pump all their team by 24. Jeez. That was... <laughs> I think I was at like negative 600 life uh, after that attack. But Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so then my, my Tybalt actually happened, maybe it was yesterday or two days ago. Uh, I drafted a sick Blue-White Flyers deck. And mm-hmm. it had it had all the you know all the greats. It had Imperian Eagle. It had Sky Cat. Sweet. Had uh, one drop, two drop flyers. It had perfect. Uh, it curved out. I actually drafted Zatalpa in that deck, and you were like, <laughs> you were like you were like, dude, you have to cut the Zatalpa. It's I think I told bad. you to cut the chicken. You did, and I did. Um, but it also had yeah. Safara. It had the Archon of Sun's Grace. It had Aurelia, and it also had the red white um, flying menace tutu. So it just yeah, had, this is fine. It just had like all of the greats of the blue white flyers deck. That was that Jeskai deck I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And I was doing the thing. I got my opponent down to like two life by turn like six or seven. Maybe it was a mm-hmm. little earlier than that even. And then he drops a platinum angel. And I'm <laughs> Again like, with the platinum angel. And dude, I'm telling you. And his board was big. Like he had a big ground board, but my sky cat was like an eight eight and. I had oh I also have um Tetsuko in that deck so I had a bunch of X ones or one Xs that were attacking every turn for so lethal wasn't a problem it was the angel no I dropped him to negative six and <laughs> and he's just he's just drawing tons of cards then he drops an immortal sun and he's drawing all these cards and I'm playing all these flyers and I'm just thinking to myself how am I gonna get rid of this this platinum angel because that's the only way i win is i have to get rid of this but i don't have a ton of removal i think the only removal in the deck was hanged executioner so i was like oh <laughs> well, no it I sounds like had, he's just gonna draw his deck well i also had a deputy of detention so hmm. i was like i need either the hanged executioner or the deputy to get rid of the the platinum angel so i can just win because i had him at negative life so if i got rid of the platinum angel he lost on the spot mm-hmm. well i managed i i the turn before i drew the hanged executioner he he was able to gain life up to like four, I think. And then mm-hmm. at that point, he had enough flyers that I couldn't really attack through. I did still have Tetsuko though, so I could have I could have attacked for lethal. Um, I drew <laughs> quote unquote lethal. Right. Um, I I got rid of the Platinum Angel, and he just reanimated it. <laughs> and then and then I was like, all right, all right. I, that's fine, I guess. I'll just sit here. He's drawing a ton of cards because he also had the Great Henge out, so he had Immortal Sun and Great Henge. Oh and, wow! And I'm just like, okay, it's fine. He's just gonna mill himself, and then he draws. Oh, his, he no. draws his last card, and he doesn't lose. And I was like, what do you mean? He do- Platinum Angel. <laughs> and I was like, so right, he, he just... had his entire deck out on the board. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was no, it was terrible. Uh, well, he, from a from your perspective, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Awful. Opponent opponent's got a sweet deck going on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so I think that wraps that. Let's get into these Chaffee Awards, and we'll close out this episode. Yeah, so I think this is going to be one of the, our our favorite recurring bits. Uh, something that we're going to try to do, you know, with every set closing. And this is obviously our first episode, so we'll figure out what sticks and what doesn't out of all of the uh, you know topics and things we've randomly thrown at our. our valued listeners but um 
this is a way that we can kind of summarize the format and uh, you know give a nice little gold chaffy, the, the the best chaff in the set. Sometimes maybe the the not chaff. So uh, I think we can start off with. I guess the the anti chaffy award, whatever the most powerful thing that we we found in the set to be. Sure. Uh, so, so what have you got give, for this? Okay. Uh, personally, I gave the most powerful card chaffy award to Lana War Elves, and mm. it kind of is just the theme of mana dorks. There are a handful of them, and they're all just amazing. Like if you see a Lana War Elf, pack one, pick one. You're probably taking it. You're probably gonna be happy about it. Um, they yeah. just enable so many things. Yeah, that's something that um people that don't play a lot of cube, uh, they might not necessarily think that. Like if you're a constructed player and you open a cube pack and you see like a Niv Mizzet or something, or um I don't know, like a Massacre Girl. Uh, I guess Massacre Girl is probably a good first pick too. But um maybe you see something like a, a uh like a reclamation. You'll be like, oh, like wilderness wreck. This is great in standard. I'm just gonna slam this. Well, turns out. When everything is about the same power level, getting the power out that same power level stuff earlier can just get you really far ahead. Um, in a similar way, uh, I was actually I was tossing this back and forth. I think the most individually, specifically powerful thing to do is Golos um, and activate Golos, but that's that's you know a little risky. I think um, for multiple archetypes, my best uh, card in the format was actually Dryad Greenseeker. So the way I rationalize this is, would you play a card that was one of the green for a 1-3 ETB draw six lands out of your deck? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think that's pretty busted. And that's often what it ends up being. Um, it's decently hard to kill. It doesn't die to some of the red removal. Um, it dies to some of the black removal that's more mana, but are they really going to cast it on your two drop? This thing just ends you, like ends up drawing you enough lands each game that it always makes back its its card uh you know that you spent on it and then uh the synergy with stuff like dryad and wayward Swordtooth lets you sometimes hit both your turn like lands every turn um in the late game you can do some tricky stuff with vivians and other top deck uh things like that you can you know shuffle and then like uh reveal the top card and draw it and then that'll hit a creature that you can cast vivian it just synergizes really well with a lot of the green powerful stuff. So it's my anti-Chaffee pick. All right. That brings us to the Chaffees for most annoying card. What do you got, Ben? Uh, I actually have Shalai Voice of Plenty. Uh, it, for the red decks and the aggressive like red-white strategies, if your opponent drops a Shalai and you don't have something like a, like a fight with fire uh, like right on the spot, you're in a lot of trouble. That thing is a 3-4 Everything else they have is hexproof, and if they're playing green, if you give it long enough, you're not going to be able to attack again. So this thing has, uh, you know, cost me a lot of great games, and you know, something that also you have to note here is that it gives your opponent hexproof. So if you're very close to burning them out, you can't do it. Uh, if you cast your Ulamog, you have to only exile Shalai. Uh, if you, I don't know, play a Viashino Pyromancer, you have to hit yourself for two damage, which I actually did once, and that's not a great <laughs> way to end a game. Yeah, that does sound pretty annoying. I have a wild guess as to what your <laughs> your most annoying card could be. Oh, it, it's uh, obviously forests. Uh, <laughs> they just they just enable such good plays. No, uh, it's Platinum Angel, hands down, Platinum Angel. I have lost so many games to this card, and every single time <laughs> I've lost to it, I've just been like, this shouldn't even be in your deck. Why, like? People tend to run yeah. Platinum Angel literally just because it's colorless and says you can't lose the game on it. And 
apparently it works. Like, I I don't know. I just can't beat the card. I think you need to get a little bit better at drawing your removal spells. That's uh, You're right. I'll work on that. <laughs> work on your RNG skills. Uh, you'll probably have more success. So what was your, your favorite jank in the format? What was the, the dumbest thing that you made work? Okay, so my chaffy for best jank goes to Dracuseth Maw of Flames. Won, Ooh, big. I I seven won a draft with this for with this card winning three or four of the games with just this card alone. Um, <laughs> it's just so much fun to be able to drop this massive card that you're not really used to being able to cast because it's so expensive, and then be mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm attacking with it, and all your all your things are dead, or you're dead, and probably both. Mm, uh, yeah. Have you ever gone to cast it into a Sarkons and ceiling? No, but. You know, that's, that's the dream. <laughs> I did that earlier today, and, you know, I was disappointed when I attacked with it because there was nothing left to hit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <boo-hoo>. <laughs> so uh, my favorite jank, uh, Chaffee, got to be Arboreal Grazer. Uh, and an honorable mention to Nyxbloom Ancient, which I already kind of went into. But Arboreal Grazer, this has been a bit of a magic meme for a while. Um it's a one mana zero three with reach that lets you put a land from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. It turns out going from one mana to three mana is just really good. And it doesn't really matter how you get there. Is Lanor Elf a better way to do it? Yes. Is Gilded Goose a way better way to do it? Definitely. But uh, sometimes you'll draw this against blue white skies and you'll blank a lot of their attacks lets you For get sure. to the late game. Absolutely. All right. Um, what was your chaffy going for biggest chaff? Oh, basically the, the chaffiest the chaffy. Card. Yeah, like the worst card in the format, the card you never want to see in a pack. Hmm. The draftiest chaffiest chaffy. It's gonna go to Vivian's Arcbow. This okay. thing just doesn't do anything. It, when when my opponent plays Vivian's Arcbow, I'm like, yes, Vivian's Arcbow. I've got this one in the bag. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I mean, mine's kind of along the same lines. Obviously, we both wanted to pick cards that kind of do nothing. And uh, mm. I picked Rupture Spire. It's a land that enters tapped, so you can't even use it the turn you play it. And if you can't pay for it, it makes you pay one. You just sack it. It's, yeah, it's so you're not playing this turn awful. one. You're, you're not, not playing, playing this turn, turn one. Two. You're not playing it turn two. And turn three, what are you going to do? Play this in a one drop? Like yeah, it's just it, it sets you back like three or four turns. Mm-hmm. If you're playing this against red and you're on the draw, just, just you, it's not going to work. It's not going to work out well. Especially if it's like, you know, or or if you're, especially if you're in an aggressive deck, never put this in your deck, ever. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. Uh, this actually kind of reminded me, one card that I meant to touch on with uh, some of the, the best cards in the set, Mindstone. No one's playing Mindstone. I've wheeled Mindstone. What, what are people doing? That's disrespectful. Uh, I think the one place where it doesn't fit as well is something like Mono Red, where you want to have your Runaway Steamkin or, uh, I don't know, your your 3-1 Vanilla just to start getting in for damage. But even in Red, it's still pretty good. Playing something like a turn 4 Sarakon, eh, it's it's fine. Yeah, if you have top end, I think it's okay. it's it's passable in Red, but I mean, Mono Red just wants mm-hmm. to be playing creatures. But any yeah. almost, almost any other deck wants to play Mindstone. Like, if you're not in an aggressive deck, you should probably be playing Mindstone. Yeah, the Sky's deck can't really make great use of it either. But again, that that's my uh, I'll get off my soapbox now. So, what was your uh, most unexpected chaff? What was the, the card that you thought was going to be great but didn't end up getting there? 
Yeah, so the Chaffee for un- most unexpected chaff for me has to go to Jaya's Immolating Inferno. It's a legendary mm. sorcery, which we kind of touched on aren't great, but I kind of got sucked into that whole, like, ooh, it's a supported thing in this format. And yeah. on its face, like, it can really blow people out. Oh, yeah. You can but win games off that easy. sorcery, and it has other casting restrictions. And it just never... I'd, every single time I would have seen it, Jaisen Lightning Inferno, I'd just rather have Fight with Fire or Banefire. Yeah, it ends up just not getting there. Um, plus, I, I feel like the red deck doesn't have that many legendaries, right? What's no, really in it that? doesn't. You want to be playing this in the blue-red spells deck, which never really gets there anyway. Or <laughs> in like the what? Five, right, or the five-color <laughs> Niv-Mizzet deck. And that's also hard to mm-hmm. draft, and you have better picks. Yeah. So... It just never really got there for me, and I kind of expected it to do okay. Mm-hmm. How about you? So, I would say mine, it's got to be Gilded Lotus. Uh, and I, Look, I like to go pretty big. I already said that Golos is my favorite thing to be doing in this format. Um, activating Golos, knowing that you could flip like an Ulamog or an Enrace Forerunners is a very fun way to play. And I thought at first that Gilded Lotus would go into this kind of strategy as kind of a backup plan. Maybe you tap out turn uh, four for this if you're ramping, or even five, and then um, you get to play like another another spell, which sometimes you do. But I found that ultimately the cards that are just ramp, uh, this grow from the ashes, um, and then there's a few other you know uh, migration path. These haven't really gotten there. Uh, Taking an entire turns off on turns like three, four, and five to not affect the board state while your opponents are starting to cast their haymakers, like planeswalkers or uh, like big flyers. I found that Gilded Lotus just didn't really end up getting there. Yeah, I can see that. It, it can kind of rope you in. It's colorless. It it like basically ramps you, but it is a mm-hmm. five drop, and you know it's it's that's a kind of a key turn in this format to be taking off. Yeah, I found one game where I actually uh, I had an Ulamog in hand and was getting beaten down by Mono Red. And uh, I would have, I top decked Gilded Lotus. And even though it let me, you know, I was able to play the Lotus and then the next turn I would have been able to play Ulamog, uh, I just got beaten down by Red instead. And if that had been something like a Golos to go get a, uh, I don't know, a Field of the Dead or a Blast Zone or something like that, um, I would have just been in an infinitely better position. Yeah, makes sense. Well, that about does it for us for this first episode of the Draft Chaff Podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. Um, We're going to be talking about M21, breaking down all of the uh, archetypes that you can expect to see in that format next week. Um, But for now, that's it from us. Anything you want to add before we sign off here, Ben? Uh, send us your picks to discuss. If you if you have a uh, you know a, a screenshot, you can add us on Twitter. Uh, we'll have our, our you know, social medias linked in the show description so you can find us there and uh, you know, send us your, your stuff. We want to talk about Limited. That's kind of the point of this podcast, right? Talking about Limited. That is what we're aiming to do, yeah. Um, as Ben mentioned, you can uh, check out the podcast on Twitter at, at DraftChaffPod. Um, you can also find me at Rannick Alfredian. And uh, where can they find you, Ben? You can find me at Betafish1. Cool. That's it from us. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. 